go. And just a few things before we get started, as you will see on this next screen, uh, you'll find this poll in the Bible Studies of the Russ uh, Facebook group. Uh, if you're not a member of that, just let me know. I'll be sure to send you an invite to it. Uh, basically, I'm trying to just find the best time where he'll most available during the week uh, for a live study. I know several of you are here today. I'm thankful for that. We've been doing it on Wednesday about noon. Uh, today, of course, is not Wednesday. Um, but I wasn't sure if my voice could do this and do class last night, and so I opted for class only. <coughs> and so, um, anyway... In the group, you'll see this poll, and you have Monday through Friday, you have morning or afternoon. Uh, the afternoon will probably be the latest Bible study. would probably could be at 2 o'clock uh, due to picking up my daughter from school every afternoon. And so uh, the latest it could start would be 2 o'clock. So if you'd like a different time than what we are aiming for, we've been aiming for Wednesday or Thursday uh, on at noon. But if you have a better time you'd like in the mornings, uh, just go to that poll and... and and select one of those or just leave something in the comments of that uh, post and let me know if you have a more specific time uh, so I do realize that everybody's available um, on Wednesdays or not available at noon uh, during the week and so if you have a time that's better for you uh, just pick one and whichever one gets the most that's where we'll go and so uh, do uh, take a look at that as well Following the end of this study, these will be put on the Facebook, or excuse me, the YouTube channel, Bible Studies with Russ. If you go to YouTube and type in the search bar Russ-Bible Studies, this will pop up, uh, or at least it should be one of the options that comes up in the search bar. Um, and so I've been uploading those, our uh, Bible Studies, to this page. And so you can share this with others who are not, it's an easy way to share it with others who are not a member of the group yet. Uh, maybe they'd like to join it, and then they can be more interactive in it as well. And, of course, uh, the audio uh, is converted into a podcast, the audio-only podcast on Bible Media. You can see it's on all the major platforms, just like all of our podcasts are, uh, Apple, Google, uh, Podbean, which is the actual uh, service we use, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio are probably the, the biggest ones. The other two up down here at the end, I don't even remember where they are. I think the last one's called Listen Notes, which I never even heard of. But anyway, it's on all the major ones. And so if you have, if you or others you may know might be interested in this, uh, they can type in Bible Studies with Russ or Bible Studies with Russ Earl, and it should come up on any of these. You can probably just Google it, actually. Uh, by the time you get to having all, having it on all these platforms, you should be able to be able to Google it and it come up, and you'll be able to listen to it wherever it's most convenient uh, for you. And, of course, being the director of OEBS, I do want to take a second to encourage you to join uh, our classes. Our classes do begin January 6th. The enrollment is now open. And if you go to our page, oebs.org, and click on just that black, that black sentence that says enrollment for our spring semester is now open, click on that, and it'll take you to the enrollment page and select Saturday or weeknight. Our weeknight classes, we have two on Monday night and one on Tuesday night. Uh, Monday at 7 and 8, we have a New Testament and then an Old Testament on Monday nights, and we have a topical on Tuesday night at 7. I believe this next semester it's going to be uh, on personal evangelism. Uh, Brother Ben McRee from the Bolivar uh, congregation there is going to be teaching that. 
Brother Landon Rouse is going to be teaching Jeremiah and Lamentations, at least part one. That's going to be at least a, a two-part course. Uh, but he'll be teaching that on Monday nights at 8. And then Martrell Sanders, who I know some of you don't know any of these guys, but they've been teaching with us at least for one semester, if not longer. Uh, but Martrell Sanders will be teaching uh, Titus and Philemon on Monday nights at 7 uh, p.m. And so... Uh, I do encourage you, uh, if you don't even if, even if you don't enroll as a student, you can always watch it live. You can join the class and make comments and all those kinds of things. Even if you're not enrolled uh, in, in it as a class, you can still take part in it. And so I do encourage you to consider uh, OEBS, obviously, as well. Okay, so getting to our actual uh, study, as you'll see in this next screen, this is an outline for what we'll be looking at today. We won't get through Chapter 13. There's just... I don't plan on doing that in the 30-minute tops that I plan to do this. Uh, chapter 12 is really dealing with an issue with Ephraim and then dealing with what I call, what many call minor judges, simply because there's not much said about them. And so and then chapter 13 begins the time period of Samson. And Samson's a very interesting uh, character. Uh, he is one that has a lot, a uh, little bit of controversy around him regarding uh, you know, the pulling down of, of the pillars and things such as that, um, the, the uh, hair growth and those kinds of things, a little bit of uh, some questions around that and some of those things. And we'll talk some of the, uh, about those things as we get closer to or get more into that as well. So there's an outline for uh, today's study, today and probably next week's study, chapter 12, the pride of Ephraim, 1 through 7, the minor judges, verses 8 through 15. And then in chapter 13, and it, this is just one example of an outline. There's probably many more. Um, chapter 13, you have the birth of Samson. Uh, verses 2 through 7, you have the first appearance of the angel. 8 through 23, you have the second appearance of the angel. And in verses 24 and 25, you have the birth and growth of Samson. Okay, so that's going to bring us now into our actual text. And when I do these studies, I use the New King James Um Obviously, we use the King James with OEBS, but New King James is what I typically use. And I think as you go through here, you'll see that it's uh, very similar in nature to the King James. The wording is a little bit different, but uh, it's not that much different. Okay, and so I try to make this text large for you to see. If you can't see it, uh, you'll just, I don't know what to tell you. I'll just pull out your, your actual Bible in front of you. Um, but if you have it full screen, you should be able to see that pretty well. Okay, so chapter 12 and verse 1 says here, Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward, uh, toward Zaphon, and said to Japheth, And uh, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Uh, what a lovely way to introduce yourself right off the bat, right? I mean, you go in and say, You didn't invite us to, to, to fight with you. Uh, uh, and... Um, and so you do not call us to fight with you, so we're going to burn your house down with fire, is what they say. Well, that is not exactly accurate. Their, their, their claim, their comments here are not accurate. Um, that is not what actually took place. Um, and as you look here in verse 2, the Bible says, and forgive me for my pronouncement of these names because I'm terrible with them, but Japheth uh, said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon, and when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So, a couple things. First, they claim in verse 1 that you that they did not call them, right? And you did not call us to go with you. Verse 2, 
He says, we did call you. You just didn't come. Um, he says here, my people and I were in a great struggle, which would seem to indicate, as we'll see next, they couldn't wait around forever. Um, I don't think it's the idea that they called them, they didn't answer, and then just went five minutes later. But they called for them, and they didn't come. Uh, my people and I were in great struggle with the people of Ammon, and when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. And verse 3, So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my, in my hands, and I crossed over against the people of Ammon. I like that phrase, I took my life in my hands. It's like us saying today, uh, I decided to take care of things myself, because <laughs> you weren't coming to help me. Uh, which is a pretty big slide against them. Because remember, they already said in verse 1, why don't you call us? And he says, we did call, call you, you just didn't come. And so they come to him saying saying things were not true, and then also threatening them in verse 1. And so in verse 2 and 3, they, they are reminded that that was not the case. They were called, they just didn't come. And so in verse 3, I took my life in my, in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? And so verse 3, in all reality, this should have been the end of it. They should, you know, they should just back off and say, you know what, you're right, we didn't come to you. Uh, we're not going to fight against you. And turn around and went back home. But that's not what happened. Um, we find there, they, uh, they, they, first of all, notice where the credit, again, I'd like to point this out, where the credit to the victory goes. Verse 3 and the Lord delivered them into my hand. <clears throat> and so the Lord gets the credit for the victory, and rightfully so. And so the question then is asked, why have you come up to me this, this day to fight against me? Now Jabeth gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, said you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the, among the Ephraimites and among the, the uh, Manassites there in verse 4. And so what happened was they continued to insult them, as you see there in verse 4. The, Emirate, the Ephraimites, or Ephraimites rather, accused the Gileites of being, as some translations translate it, renegades of Ephraim. But the New King James there uses, uh, uh, you there, you Gileads are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassanites. Um, uh, so, this was, uh, to some, uh, uh, is viewed as an ethnic slur, but it may have also been hinted of, Ephraim, uh, of Ephraimite desires to, to annex the territory of Gilead. Uh, whatever the reason, the Gileadites were threatened by these words, and they were willing to go to war against the Ephraimites. And so what happened? They just keep on. And so you have Ephraim pictured here as coming and saying, why don't you call us? And then, then them being told, we did call, you didn't come. And so the Lord delivered these people into our hands. So now, why have you came to fight against me? Well, Ephraim just turns and says, well, you're actually all fugitives anyway. You know, it's hard to understand <coughs> why people do sometimes the things that they do, why they say the things that they say. Uh, maybe they get hot-headed. Um, some people uh, are not happy, I think, unless they can be, unless they can be in the middle of it all unless they can stir up some kind of, of drama. Um, and, you know, I'm not one for drama. Um, I, you know, I, I don't see the need of purposely and deliberately trying to, to stir up drama for the sake of stirring up drama and stirring up trouble. But that seems to be what Ephraim is doing here. Uh, their error is pointed out in verses 2 and 3, and instead of them just apologizing or trying to make amends and leaving, they say, well, you're all actually fugitives anyway. And so what happens? Well, war breaks out, right? Uh, 
And verse 5 says, And the Gileites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, Then say Shibboleth, and he would say Siboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. So, <laughs> interesting way of doing doing this. And say to say there are interesting things in the Bible that are taking place is an understatement. I mean, there's so many things that you think, wow, that's an interesting way of, of trying to, to, to handle that. As you look there in verse uh, in verse 6, excuse me, verse 5, they take over the fords, right? And, and no one can cross. They question them. And then if they could not say this word correctly, they would know who they were. And what happened? We find in verse 6, then they would take him and kill him at the fords of Jordan. And what happened? We find there as a result, there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. 42,000. And then we find there in uh, end of this reign, verse 7 says, uh, uh, Jabeth judged Israel six years. Then Jabeth the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. And so we find there that. Uh, the the reign of, of Jabeth is six years is not long for a judge and this is really it seems to be all that's said about him uh, if I remember correctly um, or, or the, excuse me there's a little more said about him but here this this conflict is what brings an end to his to his reign right it has to do with uh, Ephraim coming up against them and so we find now as we get to end of chapter get to midway through chapter chapter twelve that we have these judges. Uh, they're going to be minor judges in comparison to others, where there's not just there's not a whole lot said about them. Um, some have, have tried to make some kind of um, uh, you know determination about them t- uh, based on what we do know, and maybe a little bit of, of speculation, and based upon chronology and things such as that. There are some things I'm going to read here in just a moment that are said uh, as possibilities regarding these three men. But anyway, Jabeth, his reign ends uh, after just six years, and no doubt um, a lot of a lot of bloodshed there, as we see uh, 42,000 Ephraimites died on this occasion alone. Now, as we get into verse 8 uh, through the end of the chapter, again, there's not a whole lot <laughs> said about uh, these men. Uh, I'm going to read through here these verses, and I'm going to read some comments uh, about, about these men. Let's read verses 8 through 10 first. After him, that is after uh, uh, Jabeth, uh, however you want to say that, I say it probably different every time. After him, uh, Ibzan, or Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. And he had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage, and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Isban died and was buried at Bethlehem. So, as we look at this, we find that Isban was from Bethlehem, but probably not the famous village uh uh, probably not the famous village of that name in Judah, according to, to one commentator. He goes on to say that more likely he was from the Bethlehem and Zebulun, and he cross-references Judges chapter uh, t- 19, verse 15. Uh, Ibzan had 30 sons and 30 daughters, thus he had been married to several wives. 30 sons and 30 daughters. Um, that's a lot of, that's a big house, first of all. But I also notice next what it says here. Uh, he gave away thirty dollars in marriage, which, which means he gave them away to marry 
others whom they were not to marry. They were not to, to marry outside, right? But then we also find there in verse 9, and brought in $30 from elsewhere for his sons. And which means what? Enter, you know, that improper marriage bond, as we'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, the reference uh, to the inside and outside is probably a reference to intermarriage with non-Israelites. Ibsen may have had a, uh, a, 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 maybe he didn't think much about it, or maybe he didn't think it was a big deal, but he was violating one of the most fundamental of God's laws of separation, as we see in verses 8 and 9, by bringing in um, these daughters and, and sending out his own daughters. Uh, daughters are mentioned in connection with only uh, Jabeth and Isban, Ibzan, have you pronounced that? Uh, Jebetheth, or have you pronounced that? I say it wrong every time, sorry. Uh, had but one, but was forced by his foolish vow to surrender her while she was still a virgin. Remember, we talked about that last time. He, he made a vow, uh, and then he basically gave her over to, to service to, to the Lord. We talked about that uh, as well last time. Um, but this man had 30 daughters, um, and all married, and all 30 all 30. Uh, all 30 married sons as well. And so the fullness of Ibsen serves to underscore the, the, the barrenness of his predecessor and consequent to his vow. So unlike the one who went before him, he had $30, yet the one man before him had only the one. Now, again, we look next, and that's really all that is to say there about Ibsen there in Judges 12, 8 through 11, uh, 8 through 10, rather. <clears throat> and then we find Elon. Uh, not the Elon we know of today, but after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, uh, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. And Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at uh, Ajalon in the country of Zebulun. And so that's it. It's interesting. What's pointed out by one commentator is that it does not say that these men uh, were buried, were buried, um, you know, died in the Lord or buried. Uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Um, but they were not. It has. It doesn't say much about where they were buried at. They weren't buried uh, in, in in holy in, in in holy places or anything like that. Places you might say that where other faithful men of God were buried at. Right. It just simply says they were died and were buried in such and such location. And we have that there in verse twelve and thirteen with Elon. Again, he, he simply tells us that he. Uh, he he he. We find that he judged Israel uh, ten years, verse eleven, and then we find verse thirteen. He he died, and then we're moving on, right? Um, me, verse twelve, he died. Uh, verse thirteen. After him, uh, Ebdon, the son of Hilai, the Parthenite, uh, judged Israel. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons. He rode on seventy young donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. And Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parthenite died and was buried in, in Parathon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of Amalekites. So again, we have really very little said, right? Just how many sons and daughters they had, how many grandsons they had, how long he reigned. They rode on 70 young donkeys. We may have mentioned this before. Uh, maybe this is the idea that they, they were sent out to different areas. I think that was a different chapter, actually. <coughs> maybe that was chapter 11 uh, when we looked at that. It's been a few weeks since our last study. Um, but that's all that's said about these quote-unquote minor judges. As I said before, um, going back to our outline here, um, these minor judges, verse 8 through 15, there's not, there's just not a whole lot known about them. Now, as we get into chapter 13 here, 
Uh, we're going to look at the birth of Samson uh, and the appearance of the, the two appearances of the angel and then the birth and growth of Samson, which we'll get as far as we can as we have about nine minutes left. Now, so let's go ahead and move back over to uh, get back into chapter 13. And I also have cross-reference here, Numbers chapter 6, um, concerning the, I believe this is about the Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6, 1 through 21, the law of the Nazarite, which we'll talk about here in just a moment, as that's mentioned later, uh, here in a few verses down. And so, I was going to make mention of this, note of this myself, um, here in Judges chapter 13. Now, as I mentioned before, Samson is an interesting character. Uh, known for his, you know, when you hear about Samson, you think of Samson, you think of his strength, and you think of Samson and Delilah, right? Uh, who was a special kind of woman, to put it, to put it mildly, uh, a special kind of woman. Um, but, you know, there's not a whole lot. It's just, it's a, just an interesting story, an interesting account of a man who, well, basically was an instrument of God uh, to carry out. Uh, you know, he he's mentioned here as a, as a as some call him a judge, some call him just an instrument of God. I think really the idea more almost like just an instrument of the Lord. Um, and some of the things they have here is whereas other judges were raised up in times of crisis to deliver to, in times of crisis to deliver God's people, Samson was dedicated to his task before his birth. One of the twenty. 23 references to the, angel of, uh, to the angel of Yahweh in this book. 13 are found in the account of Samson's birth. Samson's the only deliverer in the book of Judges about whose birth is anything related. The birth announcement demonstrated the, the painstaking steps that Yahweh took to provide his people with a judge. And two, that deliverance would only come through a special work of God's. And so we find here as we get into chapter 13... With the time we have left, looking at verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, we all have heard that phrase so many times, right? Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Is it any wonder why that the Lord's church, and we know in so many ways is referenced as you know, the spiritual Israel, but we have a lot more in common with them than probably what we'd like to think about. Because we too can do evil and do wrong inside the Lord. We too can be going well, doing things correctly, and then slip off and start doing things which are not pleasing inside of God. And we find here in verse 1 of Judges chapter 13, that's what's happening. The children of Israel did evil. The Bible says again the children of Israel, so it's not the first time, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. They're going to be oppressed. They're going to be uh, uh, punished and and just, you know, basically, yes, just punished for the things they have done and at the hand of their enemies. And uh, that's going to be done for 40 years. That is a long time. We read it. We think, yeah, okay, 40 years. And we keep, kind of keep on going. That's a long time. 40 years being basically just under the thumb of those who are your enemy. Why? Because you've gone against God. Looking now at verse 2, now it says there, Now there was a certain man from Zorah, of the woman, excuse me, of the family of, of the Danites, who was, uh, who was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. 
Now, verse 2, it's, it's always curious to me whose names are mentioned and whose names are left out. Uh, and so we find here his, this man, his wife, uh, Manoah, if that's how you want to pronounce it, his wife, you know, that's how she's mentioned, his wife. We don't even know, we don't even know her, what her name is. Uh, she was barren and had no children. Now, a person being barren, we know, means they could not have children. And we know today there are those who, I wouldn't use it, I would not use the term barren today and references someone who is unable to have children. It'd be a very, to me, it'd be very insulting to say, well, they're barren. That's, to me, that's just simply say, well, they haven't had any children. Um, they don't have any children. I wouldn't dare use that term barren because it's, it's a very hurtful term. Um, and we find here she was barren. Uh, she had no children. Uh, barren means they were unable to have children. Barren does not mean they they did, had no children. It means they were unable to have children. So there's a difference there. Um, that's why I say I think it's a hurtful term to use towards those today who have no children because you don't know they aren't able to do so or they just have chosen not to have any. Um, and so she was barren and she had no children. I think that, that those two phrases there being used shows us that they are not one of the same. Not having children does not mean you are barren. Um, but his wife here, that is the case with her. Uh, now we know, in, in especially during the times of the Old Testament and really during throughout the Bible we find where uh, a person having children uh, who was unable to have children was a very sad state and sometimes they were looked down upon. And most of the time, I, I would say, I say, they're looked down upon by those who are unkind, right? Um, you know, I've heard people say say things sometimes to others who don't have children, not knowing uh, that those individuals are unable to have children. Um, and so, w- when when we make comments today about those who do not have any children, I would say to make sure you use very good discretion, or maybe you should just keep your mouth shut, um, because sometimes we can we can cause someone hurt and not realize that we have done so. Because in the area of having children, especially ladies, understandably so, are very, um, we must say, sensitive about it, and for good reason. And so we have to, we need to use caution with that. When we when we talk to those who do not have children yet, uh, we need to be mindful of those things. Sometimes it is simply not uh, something that's able to happen for them. Maybe not that time. Um, the Bible says in verse three, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. And said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children. You shall conceive and bear a son. And so we find there in verse 3, the angel of the Lord tells this tells his wife, again, her name is not mentioned, um, and tells her, you're going to have children. You're going to bear a son. Specifically, you're going to bear a son. Verse 4 says, Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and do not eat anything unclean. Why? Verse 5, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, before we go any further with that, I want to back up, and this will probably spend the rest of our time. And let's go at Numbers chapter 6. Um, I thought that would come up a little bit bigger. But Numbers chapter 6. Um... <clears throat> verse 1, going through about verse 21, you have the, the law of the Nazarite. Um, and I like to go with here because sometimes people talk about the last the, the law of the Nazarite and they'll try to, they'll talk about it and, and they haven't really gone back and looked at it to realize what all is said here. 
and so in number six, beginning in verse one, says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When, when either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine, nor vinegar made from similar drink, neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. Uh, now notice there, when either, when either a man or a woman, and then he uses the phrase here, to separate himself to the Lord. So a man or a woman could be a Nazarite, right? According to verse verse 2. Uh, verse 4 says, All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days were fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the, of the hair of his head grow all the days he separates himself to the Lord. He shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. That tells you the level of seriousness, right? Even if any member of your family dies, you cannot become unclean. Uh, verse 9, And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, someone dies, there's an accident, someone gets gored and dies right next to him, uh, obviously that was not something he was doing deliberately uh, or anything he could help. Uh, the Bible says, He shall shave his head on, on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall he shall shave it. Um, uh, so, so yeah, if anyone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing and, and on the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer, offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. Isn't it interesting that this was something that would seem he could not help, right? That it, he transgressed God's law because someone died suddenly next to him. What do he still have to do? Offer up a, now notice, a sin offering. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Some today get twisted on intentional or unintentional things, and we fail to realize, intentional or not, sin is sin, right? I mean, that's what we find here. With it, I mean, the Bible says it, and so that should settle it. Anyway, uh, intentional or not, he had to offer that that those uh, offerings. Uh, one as a sin offering, verse eleven; the other as a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he sinned. In regard to the corpse, and he shall sanctify his head that same day. Uh, verse 12, He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation, uh, and bring a male lamb in his first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Now this is a law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle meeting. He shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in his first year without blemish as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord. With the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite, uh, let me scroll up here. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle meeting. 
and shall take the hair from his consecrated head, head and put it, put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the, take the bold, excuse me, take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his head, his consecrated hair, uh, shave his head ha, after he has shaved his consecrated hair, rather, and the priest shall wave them as a as a wave offering before the Lord. They are they are holy for the priest, together with the with the breast of the of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering after the Nazarite. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is a law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever else, whatever else his hand is able to provide. According to the vow which he takes, so must so he must do according to the law of separation. And so there you go, the Nazarite vow, number six, uh, one through twenty-one. Uh, pretty detailed, very serious, not something to take lightly. Okay, we are going to stop there. When we come back, Lord willing, next week, we will continue in Numbers, excuse me, in Judges chapter thirteen, and we will look at verse. Uh, 6. Numbers 13 and verse 6 is where we'll pick up next time. I do want to thank you uh, for being here uh, today. I hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. hope it's been an encouragement to you. Again, uh, these Bible studies are on our on, are on the YouTube page uh, Bible Studies with Russ. Uh, you can find that by searching Russ-Bible Studies on YouTube. And then you can also find uh, the audio version on uh, Bobway Media. You can go to bobwaymedia.org and find a link there. And then here uh, on our Bobway Media page, the Podbean page, you can see it there and all the major platforms that it is available on. So again, I hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. And Lord willing, I will see you again next time.